The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. Hey, hey, welcome to the Disability Law Show. John Scholes here just hosting. All the heavy lifting is done by Martin Willems. You want to reach out to, uh, to Martin, you can always... Get a hold of them, and uh, how do you do that? You know that phone number by now, 1-855-821-5900. Help at disabilityrights.ca is another way you do that online through email. We'll get to some of those in just a bit. The main topic for today, though, as uh, you sent over, uh, Martin, mental health claims, uh, what to know when applying for LTD. Let's get right into this. Number one. See your doctor regularly and make sure you report to your doctor your symptoms, restrictions, and limitations, all key information, right? All of that is necessary. And the reason why we're speaking about this again today, John, is we keep seeing an increase in mental health disability Mm -hmm. claims that are denied by insurance companies. Um, Mental health claims are part of a subject of cases or claims, I would say, that are described as invisible or subjective conditions, which is quite, I've said this before, it's somewhat of an offensive term if you think about it, because it's not, people who live with it definitely don't view it as it being an invisible issue. But the reason why it's described as that is you do not necessarily see it on a brain scan or a CT scan or an MRI, although there are some changes in that field as well these days. But lots of these cases do get denied. I have had many people speak to me and say, my doctor has has diagnosed me with depression. The insurance company denied me. Why is that? And the response would be, lots of people with depression work. So you have to put into clear terms why it is that you are unable to perform the duties of your occupation because of the depression that you have. So going back to our first issue here, our first point, See your doctor regularly and make sure you report to your doctor your symptoms, the restrictions and limitations. What that means is, first thing, under the terms of the policy, you are required to see your physician, your family doctor, whoever is treating you, it has to be a physician, on a regular basis. That (laughs) is a requirement under the policy. And when you're dealing with a subjective illness or an invisible illness, like a mental health illness, depression, anxiety, PTSD, or whatever it may be, bipolar disorder, you have to see the doctor regularly so that the doctor is in a position to support you if you do find that you are unable to work. In other words, when you see your doctor regularly, the doctor can make his or her own observations of what they see. When the doctor notes down what your restrictions and limitations are, what your symptoms are, the insurance company at some point will access those clinical records and they will look at what you were reporting to your doctor. What are your symptoms? Do you have lack of concentration, poor focus, inability to multitask, low energy, low motivation, profound fatigue, days that you don't want to get out of bed? You may not want to socialize with other people. You may have brain fog. All of these are somewhat trademarks in a general sense of mental health illnesses. And they will be looking at what it is that you were reporting to your doctor. And another thing is, as I said before, the doctor will also make observations of what the doctor sees. So the doctor may say in the clinical notes that the person was teary or they had a flat affect 
or they were speaking in a very low tone, they will speak about what they observed. And that part of it may not be subjective, right? That's mm, an objective true. measure that the doctor is reporting in their clinical notes. So if you want to have a chance of having the claim approved, not that these you generally see where this is going when you start having these problems, but see the doctor regularly and make sure that you report to the doctor the ongoing issues that you have. And another thing to be said to that as well, if you do have what is called, many people do have this, a good day. So you've got lots of bad days and you have a good day and you see the doctor on one day and say, well, today I feel better. Put that in context. What does that mean? You feel better because today you actually got out of the house. You actually made it out of bed. Whereas the per first pre previous few days you didn't do that. Remember, things wax and wane. It's an ongoing continuum that we have to look at whether the person meets the definition of total disability. So again, make sure you report to your doctor what is going on with you, your restrictions and limitations. If things are better, put it in context and make sure that you see your doctor regularly. And again, we're talking about things you need to know when applying for LTD and mental health claims. Number two, follow treatment recommendations. Follow them. For example, counseling, uh, any medications, alternative therapies, all that stuff's under that umbrella, yeah? Different thing. You know, that generally is mostly a term that is required or something that is required under the policy as well is that you have to be under an active treatment program and you have to follow treatment recommendations. The, the whole genesis of this is there's an expectation that if you do do these things, there's a hope, I suppose, that you will improve to the extent that you can become more functional and that you can return to work. So when a doctor, and you're seeing your doctor regularly, when the doctor is making recommendations, the insurance company is going to be looking at whether you are following those treatment recommendations, whatever they may be. And some of it may be medication, some of it may be counseling, and some of it may be other types of therapy. For example, for depression, if you're seeing a psychiatrist, some of them may be recommending transcranial magnetic therapy, um, which is a fairly new type of therapy. There are different mm -hmm. things to do. Other things that people also would be told by the doctor is, you know, it depends on what your condition is, but try to get out of the house. Try to remain as active as you can. Try and go for a walk. If somebody has a significant anxiety disorder, the doctor may try, you know, exposure therapy or other types of therapies to expose the person to that stressor or that trigger so that they can overcome their anxiety disorder. Um, now, what also happens at times is insurance companies may look at this and say, well, you say all these things are your restrictions and limitations, but we see you doing, you're going out for walks or you're socializing with your friends. How is that consistent with what you're saying? Now, of course, the answer to that generally would be that, well, that's what my doctor recommended me to do. Right. I have seen cases where people suffer or live with an anxiety disorder, social anxiety, agoraphobia, etc. And this, the psychologist or the counselor or the doctor may recommend that they go to the grocery store, for example, to expose themselves to other people in the context that they are now no longer bound just in the house, that they are doing other things as well. Right. And then the insurance company would say, well, we have you on surveillance doing these things. <laughs> and again, they're following treatment recommendations. I've had people, like I've just described, have panic attacks while doing those things. It is extremely difficult for them to go out and follow these treatment recommendations, but they are doing what is required of them. 
they are doing what is recommended by the experts to overcome their anxiety and then to have their claims denied is devastating to them. And that's where we do come in, right? We assist people with these denied claims. And we'll get to uh, to number three here. We're talking about mental health claims, what you need to know when applying for LTD. Important stuff here. There's actually uh, three, actually a few more. We'll get to uh, number three, though. It says, if your condition is not improving, ask your doctor whether other treatment is available, like counseling, stuff like that, yeah? So that is a good one as well. You know, If your condition is not improving, I've also seen insurance companies look at this and say, well, we don't see any changes. We don't see that any other path is being taken to see what can be done to improve your condition, to improve your functioning so that you can get back to work. So what is happening? If you've been taking something for a specific period of time and it's not going anywhere, what is the plan? So if you do have a doctor who has been prescribing a certain type of thing, you've done some counseling, maybe it's cognitive behavioral therapy, that hasn't really helped. Maybe they may try a different type of therapy, a different type of counseling. Or if you are trying some medication which is working, then maybe try something else. Uh, yes. I've had people try different medications. I've had people go on, you know, or, or rather I'll put it this way, I've had some side effects to medications. I actually have a bunch of people in my caseload now who are having that problem, that the side effects of the medication actually overwhelm them to the point that whatever benefit they may be receiving from the antidepressant or whatever medication they are taking is counterproductive, right? So it doesn't really help. Um, but be in touch, like I said before, with the doctor and be on top of things. You and your doctor work together. Sometimes they just things just take time. Sometimes it is just a chronic condition. We've had seen, we have seen cases where a person may have had depression in the younger years, recover, then have it again, recover, then have it again. Yeah. And every time that happens, it becomes more difficult and it takes longer to recover, where somebody may have to be under the regular care on an ongoing basis and take certain medications and their condition is such that they unfortunately are not improving. And those cases also get denied. So we have to be on top of what is going on, what treatment is being prescribed, and make sure that the person follows that treatment. Let's get to one more before we break, and that is the medications. Now they're not working. Maybe you're having an effect. Discuss with your doctor other medications that you may try or ask for a referral to a psychiatrist maybe. How about that? We see this quite often where medications are not working and people have been trying antidepressant after antidepressant after antidepressant. Some of them make them act even worse. People have become suicidal, even homicidal. Uh, it, it is a difficult thing. And then some people just don't want to deal with medications because of, you know, that may have their own preferences as to what's going on, which makes things more difficult. But when you do try medications, they're not helping. Speak to the doctor. Maybe something else can be helped. And another reason why insurers quite often do deny cases as well is if you've been seeing your doctor for a specific period of time, a lengthy period, you've tried various things, it's not working, the question will be, why has your doctor not referred you to a psychiatrist? So make sure that if that happens, that your doctor does refer you to a psychiatrist, just to show at least that you're on a waiting list, because psychiatrists in BC, Alberta and other provinces very difficult to get into, lengthy wait yes. list, but at least get your name on that wait list so you can show that you're being proactive in trying to treat your condition. 
We're talking about mental health claims, what you need to know when applying for LTD. The fifth and final one is one that will uh, affect all of us, and I mean all of us, but that's coming up after a short break, so so stick around for it. In the meantime, reaching out to Martin anytime, 1-855-821-5900. Email help at disabilityrights.ca. We continue with more of the Disability Law Show. Hang on. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. And we're back. Disability Law Show. Martin Willems is your guy. Reach out anytime. He's got the answers. Great team behind him as well. You're dealing with that disability insurer in several different or any facet of that particular conversation you're having with an insurer. And uh, you're getting some static. Just reach out right away and get the information get yourself some satisfaction with martin and his team one 821 5900 help at disabilityrights.ca or simply disabilityrights.ca would be the uh, the website we were in fact we spent the first segment talking about mental health claims what you need to know when applying for ltd number five is the last one on the list but we saved the bigger one for the last one because you wouldn't think about this automatically martin but it would affect all of us and that is be very careful what you post on social media right you know, John, as you as you just said, it's a lesson for everybody. It's mm-hmm. not just people living with mental health illnesses. It's for anyone. But the reason why I mention this in this context is things get taken out of context. I have seen cases where the insurance company denies a claim because of what they saw on social media, where you may post a picture. You feel, today is a good day. I'm going to post a picture of when I was happy, when I did go on holiday to Hawaii four years ago. (laughs) And I'm going to put that picture out there because it makes me feel better. And the insurance company jumps on that, says, look, we're going to deny it because we see that this is what you did, even though it may not be even in the time frame when you were disabled. Or you may be posting something that you did today because you had a good day. I'm not saying that you represent things at all. Of course not. I'm just saying be careful what you post out there because sometimes... It may be taken out of context. And that is a lesson for everybody with a disability claim. When surveillance is conducted by insurers, and we've had an investigator on the show before, what they do these days quite often is do online surveillance. So look at people's media accounts, be it Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and others. What is it that you're posting? Is it consistent with what you are reporting? If you say you don't leave the house, you cannot do certain things, you don't socialize, and they have you doing all these things, you may be facing a denial. There may be an explanation for that. And again, things do get taken out of context. So make sure that if you do want to post something, that it is consistent with what you're saying. Um, And consider whether you actually need to do that. Let's get to a, a few emails with the remainder uh, of the show, pal. One eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred to reach out by phone, but that email address help at disabilityrights.ca says uh, Martin. I was uh, I was asked to fill out a form with my work experience, etc., and include a resume by my insurance uh, after being on LTD for almost six months with a herniated disc pressing against my sciatic nerve, causing extreme back uh, back pain from my lower back all the way down to my foot. The health system is very slow. I've had an MRI and finally spoke to a neurosurgeon, which suggested trying steroid epidural injections at the site of the hernia. I'm waiting for a call to get that done. My case agent said it's necessary for phase two of the disability after six months. Is that a scare tactic, or is it true that they can put me on any job if they think I can do it? 
This is a really good question, and I understand some of the genesis of what is happening here. So, as we've said, basically at, during every show, most group policies, if not all of them, no, there are a few exceptions actually, but most of them do have what is called a change of definition. That means that during the first period, you have to show that you cannot perform the duties of your own occupation. Then it changes to that of any occupation. This question is interesting because it appears that the insurance company is looking into the work experience, etc., <laughs> to make an assessment at the six-month mark, which tells me that this policy may be one of those where the own occupation phase is one year, where the vast majority of them would be two years. Some of them may be three years, some of them may, may be even longer, but for the vast majority, you get them to be two years. What that means is, for the first two years, you must prove you cannot perform the duties of your own occupation. Then it changes to that of any occupation. The reason the insurer is requesting uh, this lead to ask uh, with respect to um, work experience, training and education is to figure out what their transferable skills would be and to provide a resume. So they're going to look at the resume to see where did you work before, what experience do you have, what education do you have, and look at all of those things to do what is called a transferable skills analysis, mm -hmm. which may be done by some vocational person. And they may say, well, we think based on the experience that this person has, their training, their education, they may be able to go work in some other occupation. Lots and lots of cases get denied at this juncture. So is it a scare tactic? I don't know. I don't think so. It is more that they're investigating whether they are going to find that you continue to remain disabled from working in another occupation or whether they think that you can. And then if that happens, you very likely may be denied. The question though as well is, can they put me in any job they think I can do? It has to be something based on your transferable skills. And another thing that should be said, of course, it must be within your medical restrictions and limitations or your functional restrictions and limitations. And most importantly, it has to be something that pays you roughly the same amount as your long-term disability benefit. If it's less than that, if there's only a few jobs out there that you can do and they don't pay you the same amount of money as your LTD benefit, right. it really depends on the wording of the policy as well, but they would likely have to continue to pay your benefits. But, as I said, I get lots of cases tonight at this juncture. And if, if you were to be denied, or anybody else there listening has been denied at this phase, get in touch with us. We say this every week. We will review the denial letter. We will review your medical records. We will review the policy if it is available. And we will discuss with you your options so you can make an informed decision. And we represent people throughout Canada other than in Quebec. Let's get to another email, pal. Says Martin, I'm uh, coming off of my two years on LTD this June, so this month. My insurance company sent me for FCE and are reviewing it at this time. My neurosurgeon is sending me for injections, and I have been accepted and started a, a chronic pain clinic next week. What do I do if the pain is still unbearable? And my doctor and I are in agreement that I cannot return to work. I have uh, I've had three anterior cervical disectomy with fusion surgeries, and the last one in July 2021. On the worst I've been, what should I do if insurance says I have to go back to work or cut off insurance benefits? I'm trying to think ahead, right? So I'm prepped. 
I've applied for CPP as insurer requested, but haven't had an acceptance or denial from them yet. Thank you. I love your show and watch all the time. Listen all the time. So helpful. FYI, I'm right here in BC. What do you think? That's that's painful, man. You know, having three neck surgeries like this, of course, yeah. it would be painful. And you know what? The fact that the <laughs> three of them were required shows you how significant uh, the damage was to this person's spine, the cervical spine, in other words, the neck. So what is said here is the insurance company had this person attend what is called a functional capacity evaluation, an mm-hmm. FCE. And they are reviewing it at this time, so a decision has not yet been made whether this person is going to be accepted into what we just discussed, the any occupation phase. Now, when, when this happens, especially with the func- functional capacity evaluation, I've seen lots and lots of people attend these things. They do their best on that particular day, showing that the person is quite functional. And the insurance company may then say, well, based on this, we think that you can go work in another occupation. But what happened on that particular day when the person did attend the FCE was a snapshot. They don't follow up necessarily. They don't know what happens after that. And with most people, they do their best on the day and then they suffer for the next week or two weeks. They may even have a relapse or an exacerbation of their symptoms. So... I'm always careful when I look at the content of a functional capacity evaluation (laughs) report. And if an insurance company does deny a person on the basis, on the findings of the FCE, invariably the person will say to me, but they didn't follow up with me. They don't know how I felt the days that followed. They don't know how bad it was for me. I couldn't get out of bed. It took me a month to get better again. So on a consistent basis, can the person perform the duties of another occupation because they were able to do some form of functional tests on one particular day. So generally the response would be no. So if that were to happen, do get in touch with us. I understand that this person is trying to be prepared for what is coming. If the insurer cuts you off, please get in touch with us and we can review the FCE with you as well as discuss what your doctor's opinion may be and what your options will be moving forward. Again, that email address, that's what we use every show, help at disabilityrights.ca. Next one says, uh, guys, my son has been away from work due to long COVID symptoms. He was denied any benefits, and the first appeal we made has been denied. Big shock. Uh, We have one last opportunity to make an appeal. They want further medical information, but the last appeal date falls before he will be able to have been seen by the long COVID rehab clinic on a wait list after the initial appointment, and a further medical doctor that has been referred to. He is also waiting to be seen by a kinesiologist and a sleep specialist. Should he seek legal advice, what to do? Yes, he should seek legal advice. He has yeah. been denied. You've got, he says, one further opportunity to do another appeal. You've already tried the appeal. Remember, when you appeal to an insurance company, It is the same entity that denied your claim in the first place. So Mm -hmm. you've now given them more information and they denied it again. Why on earth would you want to do another appeal? I understand that there may be more information forthcoming when you do get seen at the long COVID clinic. But speaking about long COVID, we have seen an increase and influx of denied long COVID cases. And it's a very opportune time to speak about this. This morning, today, June the 1st, there was a, a, a article in Global News, which was a mm-hmm. Canadian study done on long COVID. And 
It was done by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, where PET scans were done of people who still have had COVID symptoms. And what was shown is that there was brain inflammation. So the, I suppose, findings of the report would be that there is, it doesn't have to be a severe case where the person needed to be hospitalized. Even people who have had an acute case of COVID and continuing to struggle afterwards recovered, but do continue to struggle afterwards with things like brain fog and extreme fatigue. They, this is a real thing. And as much as, I'm not saying all insurance companies, but as much as people kick and scream about this and don't want to accept it and are cynical about the fact that there is such a thing as long COVID, it's a reality for many. In BC alone, as far as I understand from reading this report, there are 5,000 long COVID haulers. Wow. COVID long haulers, I suppose is the right term. Um, and in Canada, thousands of others. So many, many people are extremely functional. They contract this and then they continue to struggle with fatigue, with brain fog, sometimes brain uh, depression. So it is a very, very real condition very new, lots of research is being done, but in a situation where this claim has been denied, the appeal was dismissed, I don't think I would go down the road of another appeal in this instance, specifically also because you're dealing with long COVID. So should you seek legal advice and what to do, reach out to us because we can assist, we do this every day, you know, we may file a legal claim as opposed to following through with another appeal. Mm -hmm. That means the insurance company is now dealing with us not with you, not with your son. You don't have to deal with that, that you know, anxiety-inducing communications any longer. It all goes through us, and I'm fairly confident that we will be able to get you some form of settlement that would, you know, help you along and your son along. Let's go one last break in there before we uh, move on to a few more emails. In the meantime, if it doesn't make the show, they get answered anyway, so don't hesitate to send along an email to Martin and his team. Anyway, that is help at disabilityrights.ca. Again, help at disabilityrights.ca. Phone number to call in uh, to Martin and his team, not on the show, one 821 5900 and a free and anonymous way to ask other questions anytime, get them answered with a searchable database, mind you, so maybe your question has been posed previously. That is MyDisabilityQuestions.com, and we'll continue with more of the Disability Law Show in a moment. Hang on. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. All right, Disability Law Show, here we go. We're at it again and continuing with more of our email, help at disabilityrights.ca. Martin, I've been going through a uh, been going to a psychiatrist and sent his reports to the insurer. I'm waiting for another report to send in to them. And my last appointment, he said I won't be going back to work. PTSD, OCD, major depressive disorder, and high anxiety. I asked him if he would put that in my report so that the insurer would stop calling me. They always seem to call me on a Friday, and if I miss a call, I'm worried about it all weekend. Do you think that they will stop with that note? Also, I got approved for the disability tax credit in twenty uh, till 2027. Then I just reapplied. It was dated back to December 3rd, 2018 to present. What do you think about all this? This is, again, it's a good question to ask in the context of what we just discussed this morning, being mental health disability claims. Um, When, in this case, the psychiatrist has verbally said to the insured that he likely, he or she likely will not be going back to work because of a diagnosis of PTSD, OCD, major depressive disorder, and high anxiety. 
that's a lot of stuff that this person is dealing with. And I understand the anxiety of taking the phone calls from the insurance company. If they're phoning on Fridays, he misses the call and then has to stress about it all weekend, which obviously is not helping the mental health issues. There's already high anxiety. Will the insurance company stop phoning and getting uh, requesting further information with that note? I cannot say exactly what they will do, but I do believe it is highly unlikely. The insurance company will continue to adjudicate the claim. In other words, they may request on an ongoing basis further updates. Sometimes they may put you into a more permanent disability plan or group internally where they may reduce the frequency of requesting updates from you and your physicians. But in this case, I don't know where that would be, whether that is going to happen. And unfortunately, I do expect that they will continue to be in touch with you to get updates, to get updates from your doctors as well. If it does become overbearing, if it does become something where it's not, you know, on a reasonable basis where they continue to do this, where they continue to pressure you, that may be a reason to reach out to us. But for the moment, I do believe that you will continue to receive calls and maybe requests from the insurer as well. And again, guys, uh, you know that number to uh, reach out to Martin anytime, one 821 5900 Okay, scrolling down here, next email. We'll get to this one. This guy's have been off work since uh, July 2022. I was first on short-term disability through my company, then switched to long-term in January of this year. With my works insurance company, I was originally only going to be off for a month for eye surgery, but I've had multiple complications and repeat surgeries. I'm diabetic. As of today, I'm still on LTD and do not expect to be back to work for at least another four, maybe six months. My question is... Should I be applying for the CPP disability when I expect to go back to work once I can get my eyes stable and I can get corrective lenses? I watch a disability law TV show, good man, every week, and I'm very thankful for all the all the information you provide. What do you think, Martin? Because we always talk about that, right? Okay. So we always speak about this. So what is the definition for CPP disability benefits under the Canada Pension Plan? It is. You must have an illness or a condition. That is number one, severe. Number two, prolonged. Mm-hmm. And number three, that prevents you from engaging in any gainful occupation. When CVP disability claims are denied, they're normally denied other than having to make financial contributions during your work life. But they're denied when we look at the merits, where Service Canada may say the person is not totally disabled from working in any gainful occupation because there may be some other treatment available and the condition is not severe. In this case, already on LTD, so may be severe, but is it prolonged? Right. That would be the question. If there is an expectation that there is this further surgery available or there's other treatment available and the expectation, and it has to be a realistic expectation, I suppose, that this person is going to go back to work within the next four to six months, I am not convinced that Service Canada would approve that application for CPP because it may not be deemed to be prolonged. There's more, there's more treatment available that may get you back to work. So if it specifically says, I expect to go back to work once I get my eyes stable, and I get my corrective lenses, I'm not convinced that this would be a time to apply for CPP disability benefits. If it had been, you've had various surgeries, there's an underlying condition of being a diabetic, your eyesight is so affected that you cannot work, and that is the real issue here. Can you work in any other occupation and your condition is severe and prolonged? There's no further surgery available, there's no further treatment available, this is where it is now, it's going to be prolonged, then yes, in the circumstance like that, a CPP disability application would make sense. It's also so that you're on long-term disability now. If this carries on, 
if within four to six months you are not back to work and the next surgery or whatever other treatment has not worked and you get to a point where it has plateaued, the insurance company may start to push you to apply for CPP disability benefits as well if you approach that two-year line where it gets to the any occupation phase. And the reason they may do that is because the insurer will say, under our policy, the terms of our policy, we can deduct CPP disability benefits. So they may try to push you, but it seems too early. It's only a year into it. Okay, next email goes like this. Uh, Martin says, guys, I'm uh, really hoping you can uh, help me with some advice on the below email. I was off work for one month shy of two years and currently on a gradual return to work schedule, working up towards getting back full time. My return to work day was February 7th of this year. I struggled with the original schedule. I'm now working uh, every other day, which has helped substantially, yet I have to stay on part-time hours longer than anticipated. I have the full support of my family doctor. He does not want me to return full-time until after I see a psychiatrist August 2nd uh, in case there will be any medical changes, medication changes. Now, insurance is saying that if I'm not back to work uh, full-time by July 1st, my status changes and my claim is basically end it. Any advice you may have would be tremendously helpful as uh, now I'm panicking, of course, and unsure of what to do next. Well, you know, uh, this is a good question. Something that we see regularly, somebody who tries to get back to work on a gradual basis, they're doing what is expected of them, and then they hit a roadblock right. where their condition isn't improving. They somewhat plateau. If they push themselves to actually do what the insurance company is suggesting, the chances of a relapse or an exacerbation increase, which may mean that they any gains that they have made will be gone. And there's an expectation to see the psychiatrist on August the 2nd. So the insurance company seems to be going to deny this claim, specifically because it gets to the two-year timeline where they're going to be looking at, can you perform the duties of any other occupation? And that may also mean can you perform the duties of your own occupation even on a part-time basis? I would say follow your doctor's advice. Don't push yourself. And if the insurance company does deny your claim, be in touch with us so we can help you along because there are definitely things that we can assist with. You do not need to push yourself into a point where you have a, where you suffer a relapse. We got time for a, a couple more emails at least, but first I got to slide into a break and come back from that. In the meantime, write this number down, keep it one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. We'll put you in touch with Martin and his crew. Email that we've been using here all hour long and continue to do so is help at disabilityrights.ca. And for clear and concise notations about disability, easy to read and digest, LTD FAQ. You can check that out, ltdfaq.ca. We'll continue with more of the Disability Law Show in a moment. Hang on. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. You bet we're back. Disability Law Show. Martin Willems is your guy. He's the lawyer you want to talk to. Great team with him as well. Phone call anytime if you want a lengthy conversation. Or just have a question, right? No problem. one 855 Email help at disabilityrights.ca. Next email, simple, easy one, says, can employment be terminated for abandonment while still on LTD, Martin? What do you think? Whoa, so that is a very good question. Although we, I'm not an employment lawyer, I am fortunate that I work with a team of employment lawyers who assist people all mm-hmm. over the country other than in Quebec. So 
I can say this though, when a person is on long-term disability, and it seems that they're being approved for long-term disability, they're definitely not abandoning their position. They're on a medical leave. And if their employment were to be terminated, I would suggest that you reach out to our firm and arrange a consultation with one of the employment lawyers, because it may be that you may have a human rights complaint, but I don't see this as abandonment. And we'll move on to the next one, short and sweet. I told you it was quick. Uh, Martin, here's the next one. This guy's been on LTD for one and a half years for mental health reasons. Currently attempting a return to work plan uh, three weeks into a six-week plan. My last three shifts resulted in some severe anxiety attacks. With the last one landing me in the hospital, uh, my insurer, pardon me, my insurer has said that I cannot go back on LTD as the issues are not medical, but rather a workplace issue that needs resolution. Is this true, considering the mental health issues are being brought on by the workplace issues and was the main reason I ended up on LTD in the first place? This is a great question, and it's again something that we see on a regular basis. And the reason why I say that is, what I'm looking at here, and the person doesn't come out and say it, is there may be a toxic workplace environment. There may be perceived bullying and harassment. Insurers routinely deny cases on that basis, saying that, well, this is specific to your job, your workplace, but it's not specific to your occupation. So it may be that you could at a different location or for a different employer in the same occupation, not your job, occupation where the bullying and the harassment and the toxic workplace environment may not be present. Therefore, it is a workplace issue. It's not a disability. Easy to say that in the context, remarkable to say that in the context where somebody gets hospitalized because of having severe anxiety attacks. Those attacks, that severe anxiety will not simply disappear when this person goes to work somewhere else, right? They've been on LTD for 1.5 years. They've tried to go back to work. Three weeks in, they had a significant relapse. So clearly there are unresolved medical issues here. But remember, this is a thing that happens routinely. Your definition for LTD under your policy will be, you must show that you cannot perform the duties of your occupation, mm -hmm. not your job. So if it is work specific, if you say to the insurance company, I'm being bullied and harassed, I'm having anxiety, but yes, I can go work anywhere else because then it won't happen there. You very likely will be facing a denial and it may be that the denial could be correct if that is in fact true, if you do not have mental health issues, if you're working somewhere else. But in this particular case, clearly there is still an ongoing issue. I've seen many cases where people have been diagnosed with major depressive disorder with a generalized anxiety disorder and they're under significant treatment. Yes, it may be due to the workplace, but that means that these people still need to be treated. They need to, they're not just going to recover. It's going to take some time. And there may be underlying issues also why they have responded in the way that they have. So it's not as easy to say this is a workplace issue. If you have a situation like this, and I know there are people out there listening who do have these situations. Reach out to us because you don't want to make a mistake with respect to the evidence that you submit to the insurance company if you were thinking of doing an appeal. You have to be careful that what you're providing is not used against you. So again, reach out to us and one of our lawyers can assist you. At least provide you a consultation on a free basis to advise you of what your options are. 
Let's get to another email rolling down. We've got a lot. Thank you. I appreciate it, uh, by the way, for sending these in today. This is great. It says the insurance company has asked for clinical notes from my psychiatrist submitted my APS for the period of my short-term disability. Short-term has been approved by a different company who has uh, passed along all the documentation that they were used to determine the eligibility. Clinical records were not asked for until now. Doctor said to talk to a lawyer before providing, uh, before, before providing to make sure this request for clinical records from the period of my short-term disability makes sense. Well, you're the lawyer. Martin, what do you think? Should they do it? <laughs> Again, it's a good question. So first things first, there are two different insurers at play here. Yep. The short-term disability was adjudicated by one insurance company. The long-term disability is adjudicated by a different insurance company. With the long-term, where this person is now, the definition will be that you have to prove that during the elimination period and the period that follows, meaning the own occupation period, you meet the definition of total disability. So that includes that short-term disability period. Mm. The notes from the psychiatrist, let me just see, as asked for notes from the psychiatrist. So I don't see this as an irregular request. You're going to, and it goes back to what we just started off this morning. You have to be sure that you see the doctor on a regular basis and report to the doctor what your restrictions and limitations are. So if you did that and these notes are now requested, remember what I said, at some point the insurance company very likely will be requesting these notes because they're relevant to proving and part of the assessment as well, to proving your disability. So I don't see it as an irregular request. Um, you can provide those records if it is for that specific period of time. And if you refuse to do so, you may be finding that the insurance company is denying your claim because they may say you are not cooperating. So unless there is some other issue here as to why these records should not be provided, uh, which I wouldn't know, uh, you're welcome to speak to us. Again, reach out to us, one of the lawyers at our firm, and we can see what there is to be done if there is a different reason. But if it is just standard, these are the clinical records, we're not sure whether we should provide them. I think it is safe enough to say that you can. Just under two to go, so I'll slide in a quick one, Martin, for you to, to answer. It says, can my insurance company prevent me from returning to work when I've been medically cleared to do so by my doctor? Interesting. It's normally the other way around. So yeah. can the insurance company prevent you from returning to work? Uh, generally, the insurance company does not get involved here, right? It may be that it depends on whether there's a union involved or if, they, if it's just with the employer, where the employer must say, we want you to be 100% clear to be able to return to work. It sounds like that is what has happened here. There are no restrictions and limitations in place where the employer may say, you need to come back to work 100% or we cannot let you come back. Can the insurance company prevent you from doing so? I don't see why that would happen. I think we need further information here, but generally, no, they wouldn't be able to do this. They would actually be happy that you're going back to work, right? right. Because they don't have to pay you any longer. But again, if there's some other circumstance that we're not aware of, reach out to us and we can review it with you and discuss your options. And we are done just like that. Appreciate you all your uh, contributions to the show. Continue to send them along for future show help at disabilityrights.ca. That's the email address we always use. You want to go to mydisabilityquestions.com to do the same thing freely and anonymously uh, for other questions. And then always that phone number to Martin and his team, one 821 5900 Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll catch you next time on the Disability Law Show. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment.